There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Our guest today is Dr. Cliff Robertson, Jr., Executive Director of the Warriors Refuge, a nonprofit organization in West Columbia, Texas, that provides shelter, counseling, resources, and training to veterans in need. Cliff Robertson, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Man, Chris, it's great to be here. It's, it's such an honor. Um, thanks for inviting me on your show. No, I appreciate your time. So, Cliff, share with us more of your background and the story of the Warriors Refuge. Well, the, the story of the Warriors Refuge and my background are, uh, well, I just, I just call it all kind of a miracle, to be honest. Um, the, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Navy vet. I spent uh, six years. Uh, uh, part of it was on an aircraft carrier, the USS America and the USS George Washington. I was an air traffic controller, uh, did the uh, 50th anniversary of the D-Day invasion. I was there for, did two trips to the Persian Gulf. And I um, uh, got to see a good part of the world, but I also saw some, some saw some challenges too. We had a uh, we had a young man in the Mediterranean um, decide to jump off the ship in the middle of the night, and you know you don't jump off of an aircraft carrier and survive, not usually. Um, and what I, what I came to find out is there were things going on inside him that weren't being addressed, and which brought me to veteran suicide, which brought me to some, to some real issues. And, and I had some personal challenges in my life where I, I ended up um, really having, having lost personally everything. And I ended up in need beyond what I could take care of myself. So I ended up actually in a veteran's shelter myself. If you, if you were to go to our website, thewarriorsrefuge.us, you'll read a little bit of my story. but it ended up being a launching pad for me. And so I'd always wanted to kind of pay that back, pay that forward. I always wanted to be in a place where I could give back, but I didn't really know where to begin. So my, uh, my uh, beautiful wife was encouraging me um, Christmas, a couple, two or three years ago now, to you really want to go and support your dad at this disabled American veterans Christmas party. You know, I, I'll be honest, I really haven't been heavily involved in those associations because, you know, I, I've had a, so many other things going on. So we went and I ended up sitting down next to this um, uh, Vietnam War veteran. He was, a, uh, he was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. The fact that he survived as a helicopter pilot in Vietnam is a miracle by itself. But we, were, we sat down next to him and I'd never met him before. And he started talking about this building that he owned that he had wanted to turn into a shelter, but he just didn't have the, he didn't know, have the know-how, he didn't have the, the energy, he's, you know, he's in his 80s, um, but he had this desire and he wanted to do something with it. And I began to express, share a little bit of my story, my desire. So we began talking and six months later, um, he transferred the building over to the nonprofit that we started and the Warriors Refuge became a reality. And 
we were given a nursing home that you know had a value of close to a million dollars, even even unrenovated, and um, we've since renovated almost the entire building. We're working directly hand in hand with the VA. Um, we've got, I think, we're up to fifty residents right now, and we're doing 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 a little bit of everything from counseling, both chemical dependency, mental health to uh, employment training, employment empowerment. We've got some internal training programs. We partner with others to help them get, you know, get back to work. And, um, you know, we help them with everything. Uh, you know, you know, what do you think you need to start over in life? And that's where we begin. Uh, they come to us with sometimes nothing. And we help them push that restart button on life. We both know that homelessness is an issue among a segment of the veteran population. Is there an average profile of the homeless vet? <laughs> um, not really. Um, I will tell you that um, I have met men and women that um, been homeless that comprise anything where, for, you know, you know, if somebody dealing with PTSD to somebody who got into a really bad situation. Let, let me tell you a story. I met this gentleman um, several years back. And, uh, you know, you meet him today, you would never know it, but he's got a, he's got an MBA from a, uh, uh, prestigious university. And this was before he became homeless, but he lost his wife. And at that moment he gave up on life. And when he gave up on life, he ended up losing everything in that process. And literally they had to carry him out of his house as it was being foreclosed upon. And fast forward eight months later, he's finding his way to a, to a veterans homeless shelter. Actually, he's being brought by a friend and, uh, fast forward six months after that, he's back on his feet. He's restarted his business. He's, he, he's reengaged with life. He just, he needed a place. Now, is that typical? No. Uh, but you know, you get people from, from, you know, from, you know, from that extreme, you get people who are dealing with very real post-traumatic stress disorder that is far more disabling than most people realize. And, you know, survivor's remorse and all of the things that go with it. There are people who have seen things, Chris, that we can't even begin to imagine today. Um, I know you've had some guests that probably have shared some stories, but I'm just telling you, there's some things that people have gone through in a counseling session with me that, uh, let's just say, cannot be repeated. You mentioned the one specific incident for this veteran losing his wife. Is there a period of time when veterans are most vulnerable to becoming homeless, or is it more of a specific situation? I guess um, what happens when they when they don't get treatment for like those, uh, I mean, this, this guy, this, this one guy who lost his wife, yeah, grief. Um, but oftentimes, um, they don't know where to begin again. Let me, let me give you another example. Um, um, there was this gentleman who was, uh, army vet. He drove, um, armored personnel carriers. He was, he was the, he was his commander's driver and had, um, in Iraq and he, and they had vehicles around them, um, uh, throughout his two tours in Iraq explode. When he got back from his, his last tour, 
he couldn't leave his, you know, he, you know, you know, he couldn't leave his house for a month because he was because every time every loud noise, he thought it was going to be another IED, you know, improvised explosive device go off. Um, he ended up becoming homeless because, you know, when you're not paying your rent, when you're not doing that. So I think a lot of times some of the impetus is a lack of real transitional treatment. There's transitional programs when you're leaving. A lot of times um, people will say, well, I'm okay. And they're not. It's not because that's not available. It's that they, they'll sometimes skip a step. And I think that, uh, I think that treatment is an issue and that lack of treatment sometimes will go into a, a period of self-treatment, meaning they'll get lost in drugs, drugs, PTSD and drugs, uh, according to, st- to statistics go hand in hand about 70% of the time. So mind blowing, mind blowing statistic. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but no, uh, you, you, you did. There's no one specific point in time. It's just, I don't want to say part of the process, but it's just case by case. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes let, let, let me go back to a, Let me go back to another story. I'm, I'm kind of a storyteller. I can, we can do statistics, but I'd, but I'd rather tell stories cause they're, they're, you know, they're much more interactive. Um, we had a, uh, you know, we had a guy that, uh, he got out, he, he seemed to transition fine out of the military and then something happened at work and there was a meltdown and cause he hadn't gotten the treatment and he lost that job. They didn't know what to do with it. And, um, sometimes there's just triggers that even the guy that's going through it, the veteran going through it, man or woman, they don't realize that it's a trigger and, they they have to be willing to go through a process of working through that, and that's where counseling, psychiatry, all those things will help. Um, but you know, it could be anything. Um, you know, if you had to put one little tagline on it, I would say a lack of mental well-being. Very straightforward. You've noted before that there are different definitions and different degrees of homelessness and what you call near homelessness. Could you walk us through those differences and why those distinctions are important? Well, the, there's, the, there's the near homelessness where, where somebody is couch surfing, for lack of a better way of terming. That's, that's kind of the, the slang term for, uh, for it. And they'll go from place to place and they're Technically, they're not homeless. They're not living under the bridge or in a park or in a tent out in the field, which sometimes they do. But that that near homelessness is they still have a few resources, but that person is truly at risk of being homeless at any moment. And the level of stress that induces is incredible. I mean, I mean, think about it for a minute, Chris, if if you knew at, at any moment, because it had happened, uh, at any moment, you were going to have to be looking for somewhere else to rest your head. You, 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 know, you, you didn't know that, you know, the people you're staying with could say, hey, listen, man, you know, you're out, uh, which happens, happens every day. Um, so that's, that's the near homeless. There are those that are, there's, there's another classification that are what I would call at risk of being homeless. They're not near, but they're at risk. And those are the people who have the untreated diagnosis. Those are the people who um, have begun to self-medicate um, 
And that is actually a larger number than most people realize. The last numbers I saw were that in the veteran population, there's approximately a million men and women who are at risk of being homeless. And part of that goes back to another statistic. Um, according to, I, I can't remember the psychological journal that I got it from, but there were 62% of people who suffer from PTSD do not realize that there is a treatment, there's an answer that can help them. Uh, so that's that that plays into that number too. And, uh, and again, a lot of times they start doing things that are unhealthy, um, that lead them to a, you know, you know, lead them to becoming homeless. I've read that while only 8% of Americans can claim veteran status, 17% of our homeless population is made up of veterans. In 2010, the Department of Veteran Affairs estimated that on any given night, there were 76,000 homeless veterans sleeping on American streets. And that number was believed to be down by 50% in 2019 before the pandemic hit. Another 1.5 million are estimated to be at risk of homelessness. Do you think those estimates are too high, too low, fairly accurate? You know, and whatever the number is, what does that tell you about the approach to the problem? Well, the uh, I believe I believe the number. Uh, you know, you know, you know, you know. I've read that same number from 2019, and and I'll be honest, I think it's low. The way that they do those numbers is through a a point in time count, pit count, they call it, and we're and we're a part of that at the refuge. Uh, and we collaborate with, you know, you know, different providers to to come up with those numbers. And what it comes down to is, um, are they going to all the places where um, veterans or the homeless are really congregating? And and I will tell you that a lot of times they're not. They're not anymore. Um, and I'll also tell you that sometimes veterans will, uh, you know, you know, will tell you, I'm not homeless. And they're because they're staying in the car, they have a place to stay. So if you tell that 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 person who's doing the count that I'm not homeless, they can't mark you down. So I think that number is low. Um, I do think the uh, um, the at risk of being homeless is probably just about right. Um, we're actually getting ready to expand our counseling program to begin to work with. Um, veterans that aren't in the shelter that are that are just veterans that are need veterans and family members, and um, what we found is just in getting the, those conversations that the need is far greater. A lot of times, um, the medication that's given um, through well-meaning, um, you know, you know, psychiatric or even primary care physicians, not necessarily even through the VA can can cause somebody to lose the ability to function and because they're not following up with you know active or aggressive counseling through all means available it's real simple to give somebody medication and a lot of times they realize that so they take themselves off the medication that would help them and they spiral down and then they're at they're at risk so where does mental illness fit into the homeless homelessness equation i would say that um, in veteran homelessness, everybody we come in contact has some level of mental health disorder, whether it's minor depression or anxiety or full-blown PTSD. Occasionally, we even run into people who have um, paranoid schizophrenia. And part of that, what's sad is part of that can end up be, being being drug-induced. In other words, they've, 
they were taking illegal drugs that ended up, you know, messing up their chemical and about, you know, the chemical balances inside that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that led them there. Um, most of these things can be treated because a lot of times people refuse the treatment. So we think of, but yeah, I would say hundred percent. Perfect. We think of veteran homelessness as only affecting men, but the number of homeless female veterans is perhaps even a more serious concern, isn't it? It is. It is. It is for two reasons. One, it's 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 the fastest growing segment of of homelessness, and and it's scary because um, they they can be especially vulnerable because a lot of times the female veteran population also has kids to go with them, so it's not just them. It's it's their children, and the the challenge for most shelter, you know, supportive housing systems is they don't have a way to help with those those children. So if you get if you get if, if you get the woman, um, she's not going to part with the kids. So how do you manage that in a in a communal living environment? It is it is difficult, and in fact, we haven't figured that out yet. We, we want to in the future, but we haven't. There's just too many variables, so much liability, so much additional care that's needed. But yeah, I mean, I would say that because they're, they can be particularly vulnerable, um, they can also have kids that make them, again, especially vulnerable. And it makes it doubly difficult because now they got to figure out childcare. They got to figure out how to get back to work. They've got to have these, these appointments to begin to get themselves, you know, oh, you, know, you know, okay up here. And what do they do with their kids in the meantime? It's kind of this spiral that uh, tough to tough to solve. I tend to think, and I believe most Americans do as well, that anyone who's gone through military training as organized and self-sufficient. What factors are driving homelessness in this sector of Americans? Because they don't want to ask for help. They get into a uh, they get into a tough spot, and they want to figure it out. They want to work the problem. That's that's one of the things we learned in the military. Um, you've got a problem. Let's figure it out. Let's work the problem. And they get to a point to where they can't. And then the mental health issues take place and they give up. Um, and then sometimes there are people who don't understand what's going on. Or the mental health situation is worse than, they, than the person individually understands. So they quit. I mean, the, honestly, the, you know, the veteran suicide rate at 22 a day, I think is probably a little low. That's astonishing. And it's, and it's tragic. It's beyond tragic. And for someone like you as a, you know, professional in the field, you're hearing stats where that number is actually dropping, but you're seeing it real time day in, day out. And you think that that number is low. Yeah, I see it. I mean, in, in my little microcosm, okay. I'm seeing, I mean, we're dealing with veteran suicide two or three times a week. They're not, they haven't been successful. We've been able to intervene. But if in my little microcosm, if we're seeing it two to three times a week, uh, it's hard to believe that the number is falling. Numbers are there. Yep. Agree. The Warriors Refuge helps get a veteran back on his or her feet by getting them off the streets and into your homeless shelter, counseling and resource training center, but the work doesn't just stop there. I hope our listeners understand what happens next and how do you find long-term permanent housing for them? 
Well, we do a couple of things. Uh, the you know the first thing, one of the things you mentioned there is we we have what we call our warrior empowerment project, where we are um, getting them and getting the getting them some some pieces of education. Maybe we're getting them plugged into an education program, or some of the things we're doing ourselves. Like we've got a heavy equipment operator training that we do. We do some computer training, things like that. So getting them to a what would I call a living wage uh, is important. Uh, because you know you can't survive on minimum wage and and, pr- and provide for a household. So there's that. Finding them uh, long-term permanent housing um, can be difficult too, especially especially if they are disabled. Uh, what we try to do is we try to plug into if they're disabled and they've got a limited income that's never going to improve beyond their disability rating. Uh, we can plug them into what's called HUD Bash, which is a HUD-based program that, that's specifically for veterans, that is veterans-assistive housing, you know, supportive housing. And it, it's basically a Section 8 program for veterans only. And we, we, we've had a lot of success placing, placing them there. Um, one of the things that we're working on for the future is we're actually, we're, we're, we've actually recently identified a, a piece of land we hope to be able to to buy and renovate, as well as add some long-term dis- disabled housing, so it'd be more of a permanent supportive housing environment. Um, we're hoping to be able to start that project before the end of the year, but it's a real challenge. I'll be honest with you: finding that, you know, placing that person, getting into a living wage is actually easier, and finding that person a, a place to live than it is somebody. Who, who simply cannot. Um, it's, it's tough. So that being said, what do you think the solution is to the bigger problem of veteran homelessness across the country? Or is there one? You know, I think the, uh, I, I think the, 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 the biggest problem comes back to uh, if, we, if we really want to fix the problem, it's really at, I would say, two to three levels. The, the first part is, I believe that everybody transitioning from the, the you know the military really needs to go through some um, pretty tough psychological assessments to see where they really are. I can tell you I'm okay because I don't want to talk to you about it. So I, I mean, I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. And I can bypass you know all the the stuff. But if you put them through very real assessments, I would say more than, you know, more than two that are that are really psychologically strong, that really can find those find those weak points and get them plugged into some sort of counseling psychiatric program. I think that would would you know would really help because I mean let's face it in in the military you're going to see things a lot of times that. Uh, you're not going to see anywhere else, and, and it's usually not good things. So I would I would recommend that as part of that transition out. The second part of it is I think we have to aggressively, I would say, not just advertise but promote the fact that there are real solutions to PTSD. There are real ways to work through this. I think that's the second part of the problem because again with with over half of the men and women who suffer not knowing that there is something that they can really do. I mean, I, again, this was, they, th- these were their words. There's, there's no solution to this. 
and really encouraging, promoting, pushing, not just a sign like in the VA hospital that says, if you're suffering from PTSD, come see us, but really talking about a real dialogue about it. And, and the third thing is um, a lot of times shelters like ours don't provide the counseling and, and also as well as the employment. Sometimes they are simply a, um, just a holding place. They've got 90 to 180 days. Good luck. God bless. Hope it works for you. And what happens is they go from one program, they get out of that program for a week or two, then they go to the next one. So I think holding the line and having better programs, uh, stronger programs, I think those are probably the, the you know the top three answers if I had to, if if I had to come up with a good solution for it. And we're going to talk about solutions to post-traumatic stress in the second half of the show, and, and specifically what you're doing at the Warriors Refuge. You know, a few minutes going to the break here. How much of an impact does chemical dependency have on the segment of the population that you serve, and how are you able to address it? Hmm. We deal with chemical dependency every day, every night. It is, it is an ongoing battle because with people who are, who are suffering, with people who, whether it's PTSD or something else, um, chemical dependency is their way to self-medicate. They're trying to work the problem, and that's the way that they've found to fix it, to, to help level things out. Um, we have what we call an intensive outpatient program where they've got group sessions three days a week. Uh, everybody uh, meets with a chemical dependent, licensed chemical dependency counselor. Um, it's just a really hyperactive program where we have to be involved and really, really intense about it. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's just the best way. And if we find that people aren't responding to that, they're still struggling with that dependency, we're very quick to pull the trigger and say, okay, you need to go really dry out at a, at a rehabilitation center. And when you get through there, come back, we've got a spot for you and we'll start this again. And we've had to do that. Uh, we've had to do that. And I think I know the answer to this question, but has the pandemic affected the mental health of people that the Warriors Refuge serves? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's tough. The isolation, uh, it's been tough getting, getting work. Um, our volunteers that, that, that everybody has known to c- come to love and, 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 and the way they help. Um, it's, it's been tough. It's been tough. Uh, absolutely. It's impacted us, uh, in more ways than I probably fully understand. We've been talking to Dr. Cliff Robertson, Jr. He'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. 
Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, and we are back. I'm Chris Meek, host of Next Steps Forward. And we're with Dr. Cliff Robertson, Jr., Executive Director of the Warriors Refuge, a nonprofit organization in West Columbia, Texas, that provides shelter, counseling resources, and training to veterans in need. So, Doc, we've gotten together because the Warriors Refuge will be receiving and putting to use a virtual reality system called Brave Mind from the nonprofit that I co-founded called Soldier Strong. Brave Mind virtual reality cre- recreates traumatic situations, such as battlefield encounters, that are at the root of a veteran's post-traumatic stress. What drew you and the Warriors Refuge to the Brave Mind system, and how much do you expect to use it? Well, Chris, first of all, I want to say uh, I am I am I'm so honored to be even even a part of that of, of that process and program. And what what drew me to it is is I'm I'm always looking for um, what is the you know you know you know you know what are the best practices in post-traumatic stress disorder counseling? What are the things that, you know, what's the cutting edge? What's, what's the next best thing? Because if what we're doing currently isn't as effective as we really want it to be, what, what can we do next? What else can we do? And one of the things that I, that I found before I found, found, you know, you know, before I found Brave Minds was um, I was actually having the veteran write down his experience you know tell me your story write it down and then let's begin to talk about it and 
you know, and, it, and it's all about helping them um, understand their own narrative and, and work through it. And, and, and that's actually, you know, that's, that's actually a uh, counseling theory called, you know, it's, it's a narrative counseling theory. And, but, but the challenge with that is actually getting them to really write it down. Um, you would think that it wouldn't be that difficult, but it is, it is like um, trying to get Congress to do something. <laughs> Not trying to get political. Herculean. Trying to get Congress to move is, you know, we all heard the term. It takes, takes an act of Congress, okay? It's like that. And I would say out of 10 people that, you know, you, you know, you approach and have them try to do that, you might get one. So with, with that and trying to get creative and all that, it, it forced me to dive deeper. So when I, when I began to do research, I found, um, I found, you know, my new hero, I think probably your student, Dr. Skip Rizzo's research. And I began to read it. I began to understand it. While I'm not part of the video game generation per se, I didn't miss it by much. <laughs> you know, I grew up with Pong and all that, but, but I still love, you know, you know, love some of that stuff. You know, I was around with my kids and all that. So um, his, his writing, his research, his, his you, know, you know, this depth of understanding and the assessment tools as well, all of it just made sense. So while I can't get them to necessarily write it down, you put them in that environment, I can get them to begin to talk about it. I can get them in that, you know, that, that virtual reality place and I can get them to begin to talk about it in that safe environment. And that's exciting to me. So honestly, this, what, this, this is actually what, what, what drove our, our application to be able to um, begin to gear up to be ready to offer these counseling services to the veteran population beyond the shelter. And, and in fact, you know, once we get it fully set up in West Columbia, we're going to have at least one other location. Uh, we might be coming back to you guys for a, uh, you know, for a third unit, hopefully maybe by the end of the year. Um, but we're going to get the first one and then we're going to get a, get a second one in a second location. Um, probably up in, up in Brenham, Texas is where we're looking for the second one. But we want to get the first one up and going first. But but anyway, I mean, honestly, I think it'll be something that's used every day. And in fact, one of the things that I'll that I'll probably do is have um, one to two counselors that do nothing uh, nothing but that, uh, and they and they and they split time in the you know you know we call it the boom room. Um, you know, split time in the broom room because you, you, you know, you spend time with them going through the scenario and then you spend time with them outside of it, talking about it. So I foresee it being a, being a real awesome process. You know, I never served in the military, but I did try uh, Dr. Rizzo's technology a few years ago and it is powerful. You know, there are 14 different worlds he calls them and anything from being in a Humvee in the road to a Ford operating base uh, hospital to walking through an Afghani village and, it is just very, very powerful and can truly see the, the benefit to that. So uh, I wish you right. and, your, and your, your veterans down there a lot of success with that. Disability compensation is another issue for veterans with a large percentage of veterans of Afghanistan reportedly filing disability claims. That seems like that's different from past conflicts and wars. The Warriors Refuge assists with disability claims. 
Can you get into that topic for us? What's different, if anything, with veterans of recent conflicts? And how difficult is it to receive disability compensation? Well, I will tell you that as far as the, the uptick, let's, let's, let's answer the first question first. As far as the uptick goes, I believe that the, the conflicts in, in Iraq and Afghanistan were very, very different. Uh, and, I, and I think they might, in some ways, mirror some of what people experienced in Vietnam, just a different, you know, just, 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 you know, different scenario, obviously. But, um, so I think that the, the level of intensity, I think the, the prolonged, uh, in country, uh, in danger forward operating bases that are, uh, on an Island to themselves, pretty scary places. Um, um, I, I, I really believe that, um, the, the, the change in environment, but let me answer another question about, um, you know, that, you know, that, that, that you're inferring there as well. I, I also believe that there is a, that there is a change in the way that the disability ratings are talked about. And I think that probably is impact, you know, an uptick as well, because, you know, I would say like, you know, let's, 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 let's take my dad, for example, he was, he's a, he's a Vietnam war vet. Um, he went for, I would say, 40 years after he got out. And it was at that point that upon a trip to the VA hospital, somebody then made him aware, by the way, this is tied to your service record, something that happened. And, and oh yeah, you were there when they had just begun to spray Agent Orange. So this is tied to this. So you might want to think about applying for this. He had no idea. He had absolutely no idea. Uh, I think there's that. I, I, I think there's better information today. I also think that there's, um, as part of the transition program out of the military, they're talking about it as well. But that, but but to your but to your third question, of, you know you know how 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 hard is it? I can tell you, it's gotten far easier. Um, because you know, I'm I'm classified as a disabled vet myself. I have back injuries. I have some other issues as well. And when I first started, it was all paperwork. It was all these forms and stacks of stuff you had to send in, and you had to have, you know, you name it. You had to have it. Uh, but the last update that that I did, it was all on the computer, and all I had to do was reference where the VA records were being held. Um, and it was all, I would say, relatively simple. The, the challenge is when, when, you know, when we're working with vets is getting them to talk about it because sometimes they still don't want to. But um, I can tell you it's gotten far easier. Um, there's, been some, there's, you know, there's been some complaints with the VA, but I will tell you one of the things that they have gotten a lot better about now, I realize this may also vary by region, too, because each region does their own claims processing. But in our region in particular, um, it has improved dramatically. Uh, turnaround times are, um, it used to take two or three years to get a claim reviewed, to maybe then get an appointment to be seen. Now it's um, maybe a couple of months. It's improved dramatically. I, I really salute the VA for the work they're doing there because they've really helped out a lot. Now that's good to hear because sometimes 
to your point with that work, they don't get the credit they deserve. And so I uh, appreciate you making that note. So let's talk about Dr. Cliff for a minute, if that, that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> You've recently started what you call a little project by the name of Your Life Matters. What was yes, the spark sir. of inspiration for Your Life Matters? How does the project work? And what are your goals? Well, um, you know, what really sparked it is, um, uh, now, first of all, let me put this out there. It has absolutely nothing to do with any of the other movements. Um, it really doesn't. It just, it just happens to be something that I, I feel is important. Um, and, and, and in my counseling, a lot of times in dealing with veterans and dealing sometimes with, with individuals, because I'll also work with uh, couples. I'll do some marriage and family therapy as well. Um, a lot of times I find people who are battling depression and, and who may also be suicidal. Um, there's a sense of hopelessness. There's a sense of why continue to live. I mean, I, 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 I don't even understand what my purpose is. And um, a lot of the current narrative out there is, you know, get some help. Just don't do it. You know, you know, there's not, I really hadn't seen a lot of really what I would consider almost, you know, useful narrative. I mean, the standard operating procedures when somebody is, has an attempt or is claiming to commit, you know, you know, they're getting ready to commit suicide is, um, you know, you call 911, not the wrong answer. Okay. I'm I'm not ever going to say that's the wrong answer. When, when we don't have somebody right there on site, that is our answer. I mean, you know, you know, that is our answer. And if they're, and and if it's a real opportunity, you know, that, you know, where they really have the means, we are still making that call, even as a professional, I had to make that call last week myself. So, um, but there's this, there's this hopelessness and in our fast paced society with all of our interconnections with social media and everything else, we are still one of the most disconnected worlds we've ever been. So without connection, without that, so it got me thinking about the idea of how can you begin to restore hope? Well, when you think about it, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll say, what does my life matter anyway? And that got me thinking, well, of course your life matters. And this ties into a theory of positive psychology um, where just, just a little background on the, on the concept of positive psychology. Psychology, counseling, psychiatry was originally started to help people who were truly miserable become less miserable. Okay. And then we have the, the next step, which is called positive psychology, which was to help people who were less miserable become happy. And one of the key ways, I won't go into all of it, but one of the key ways that they found that helps people take that next step into into real happiness is doing something for somebody else making a difference in somebody else's life that can't repay you okay so i was working with a uh, a counseling client and he was really battling depression so i thought let me test some of my ideas out on him so i did i said okay tell me you know what's your profession well he was an insurance adjuster um, okay, you're an insurance adjuster. How many people do you deal with on a daily basis? Well, I deal with, um, on a, on a weekly basis, I'll deal with 30 people on a monthly couple of hundred. Okay. So, and anyway, we, we, you know, you know, you know, you know, we went through a couple of scenarios and by the time we were done, 
over the course of a five-year period, if you had all the different people he impacted, you could fill Madison Square Garden with the number of people he was helping. And this same man was telling me, there's no point living. I am depressed. I, you know, my life doesn't matter. And by the time we were done, he was bouncing off the walls. He was like, wow, my life does matter. And he went from being borderline suicidal to then turning around and doing that, sharing that same message with other people that he'd run into. Cause he was sharing that, Hey, listen, I battled with depression and Hey, listen. Um, and, and somebody would say, well, I am too. How, how did you get past it? And he would share that. with me. So it got me thinking, um, how do we, how do we share that message? How do we go from there? And started again to put some stories together. Um, and, you know, how our life matters. Sometimes, sometimes it's the little thing that, you know, that really matters. Sometimes it's the big thing. Um, do I have time to share another quick story? Absolutely. Okay. Um, and this is something that really, you know, when I, you know, when I first read it, I, I didn't really know where it was going, but um, there was this young lady, uh, young lady, it was, it was a child. Okay. Not a young lady, a child. Uh, and they called her Crazy Annie. Okay. Crazy Annie, and she was um, uncontrollable. And in fact, she had to go into a, a into the into basically the dungeon of a psych of a psych ward because nobody could control her. She would sit for days and look at the wall and not sleep. And then the next day, she'd be crawling at the walls and and throwing stuff and all that. She was absolutely uncontrollable. And nobody knew what to do with her. She, they, they figured she would stay there the rest of her life. Then this elderly nurse came down who had been, you know, coming in and out. And she decided that she was going to spend her lunch hour with Crazy Annie. Okay. And so she began to just talk to her. She would sing to her. You know, sometimes Annie would be staring at the walls. Sometimes she'd be bouncing off the walls. It didn't matter. But she would just sing to her. And then one day... As she was finishing up her lunch, she left just a small portion of her brownie on her intake area of, of her cell. And the next day, she came back, and that little brownie was gone. And no changes at first, but then we had, we fast forward, this goes on for several months, they began to actually have conversations, and within a year... Crazy Annie is up in the regular ward getting real cognitive help. And within five years, she's told you're cured with somebody who had no cure and you can go home now. And she made the decision because now she was an adult. She made the decision. No, I want to stay because I want to help the next one. Well, I know that nobody knows the name Crazy Annie necessarily, but a lot of people do know the name Ann Sullivan, who was the one that taught Helen Keller, who was in that same ward at first. And her life made a difference. Her life mattered from somebody who had, had, had a hopeless diagnosis. But what's interesting is, Think about it for just a minute, Chris. And this is, this is what gets me excited. It started with this elderly nurse who just wanted to see if she could spend a little time and sing to this young girl who was, 
who was diagnosed as hopeless and then shared a little bit of brownie with her. All of that, how many lives did that end up impacting? So our lives matter. And stories like that, stories like that are just, are just exciting to me. And, you know, we just never know the impact we were going to have. It's like the, uh, you know, the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey, you know, he wanted to kill himself. Then he realized how big a difference his small portion of his world made. And, and I think that if we can build those internal narratives about how, wow, we, we really are important. It's not an ego thing. It's just this, I've made a difference in my, in, in my small way or my large way. Um, so so that's, that, that's, that's kind of where that's gone. Well, I, I love that you shared that story. And it's amazing when you start thinking about the exponential growth. You know, I know you said you yeah. really want to talk about statistics. You'd rather tell stories, but you gave statistics by talking about filling Madison Square Garden. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's when you put it in perspective like that, it really makes somebody, at least me, you know, pause for a second and think about, okay, what can I do to help Crazy Annie or whoever it may be? So I'm, I'm glad you shared that story. And staying along the lines of talking about Dr. Cliff, you're in the process of writing a book. What's the theme and, and how's that all going for you? Well, um, I've actually, I've actually uh, been, been, been working pretty hard at it. It's, it's, it's actually called Your Life Matters. And, and it's not just, it's talking about stories like, like I just shared. Plus, it's, it's going to also include like, you know, your, your marriage matters, your, your service to this country matters. In other words, whether it's military or first responders, because, um, you know, you get to first responders, there's another high rate of suicide. And what I really want to do is I, I want to help people change their internal narrative and, and really begin to look at life from, you know, from a different perspective. Um, one of the things that also kind of, you know, inspires me is, is I'm a man of faith. Okay. And there's this passage in the Bible that, that, you know, where Jesus tells his disciples, you're the salt of the earth. Sometimes people think that they don't really know what that means. You're the salt of the earth. But if you do a little research, you find that during that era, salt was the most valuable commodity in the world. It was literally traded equally for gold. So what he's telling these people who are fishermen, who are, um, you know, tax collectors, they are not the best, you know, you know, they're not the highest society people. They're telling them that basically you're the most valuable people on the planet. You're, you are, you, you are worth equal to gold. And that's, that's the message is, you know, you know, the things you do matter. Things you do impact somebody else. And I, I think it's amazing if we would um, kind of take that mantra that, you know, we matter. Maybe if we could do one thing for somebody else on a, on a, on a weekly basis, what that would matter. Sh- share a personal story that, that also kind of tied this together. Um, I, too, have battled with depression. I have, I have, I have battled, uh, I've battled with depression at times, kind of dealt with some of the same issue. Um, I was, I was talking with a, uh, uh, it was a good friend at the time. She later became my wife, but, uh, she was, we were really good friends and I was really battling with depression. And she told me, I know we're, 
I know we're running close on time, but she, but she told me, listen, I just want you to get out of the house. I want you to go to Walmart. Okay. I want you to go to Walmart and I want you to buy a flower pot. It was fall. I want you to buy a flower pot, walk out the store and give it to somebody. Okay. Just give it to somebody. And I thought she was crazy. Okay. I absolutely thought she was nuts. She finally talked me into it and, and I did it. And I, I went in there, they bought this nice little, nice little flower pot. And I, and I, and I walked out the store and I began to look at people and I began to see, and there was this little old lady, you know, she was, she was pushing her cart. She was looking down and I walked up to her and said, Hey, I want to give this to you. I, I just feel like it'll, it'll brighten your day. And it's like, it changed everything. And I ended up helping her with her groceries and all that. And it, it really, it lifted me out. It lifted her up and it felt so good. I went and did it again. Went and got another one. Um, and I, and I did the same thing again for somebody else. And, and while it may have impacted them, the impact it had on me was, was transformative. It really helped me, um, get out of that depressive mode. And it really all ties back into that positive psychology and, um, exponential growth. Like we talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Pay, pay it forward. Yes, sir. So if folks want to get in touch with you. They can reach you at the warriors Yes, sir. Dr. Cliff Robertson, Jr., thanks so much for being with us today. It was an honor, Chris. It truly is. truly is. And uh, I, I love this show. I love what you're doing here. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek Public Figure. If you like what you hear, be sure to tell your friends to tune in too. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place, with another leader from the world of business, politics, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.